Hey guys, welcome back to the most recent episode of the How of Who We Are. Today, Will and I are excited to announce and actually acknowledge that we have hit the double digits mark. Uh, last episode was actually our first time in double digits hitting 10, but today we uh, want to make sure that we make mention of it. I also want to wish everybody a happy and a safe 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, and this week we have a, a new interview, kind of a new style, something that um, I know that we had heard from other people about and uh, style that we really enjoyed. And um, as we continue to go, we try to get a myriad of different interviews for you guys. So we interview somebody that I was actually blessed to know um, through working at a golf course. His name is Dave Benson. Will, you want to give your thoughts on Dave? Yeah. Um, I thought it was really good to hear from Dave because, you know, as a retired teacher and coach, Dave has, you know, I think it was combined with teaching and coaching. I think it was what 40 years of teaching and coaching experience and he's in a place in his life now where he's you know uh, just passing on a lot of that wisdom to a lot of people that he comes in contact with and we were fortunate enough to have a conversation with him and yeah like Keaton mentioned you know one of you guys actually hit us up and was requested uh, someone who had a little bit more life experience someone who was retired and you know we did the homework did the research and we were lucky enough to to put that up for you guys so Continue to send us suggestions and we'll, we'll do what we can to help you. And if you want to be on the show, hey, be on the show. And for those of you guys who are just tuning in, we have a mission statement here that we like to read off as a way of giving you guys a little look into what we do here at the How of Who We Are. So we believe that ordinary people are continuously doing extraordinary things. This podcast seeks out those ordinary people to develop an understanding of the how of who they are and to discover what makes them truly extraordinary. These conversations take place with people that may never be world famous, but who we believe the world deserves to know more about. And I think, Keaton, I think Dave fit perfectly into this mold. I couldn't agree more. Um, not only was I excited for the interview before we even started, but through the interview, I was like, this is perfect. Uh, this is exactly who we're trying to interview. Um, you know, working as a teacher, uh, you're kind of working for the state. You're kind of a public servant and um, you're not getting the big fiscal reward from it. You're getting rewards in other, other facets. And we talk about that more through the interview and it's something that you can really commend, uh, especially somebody that's done it for as long as Dave has not only being a teacher, but a coach as well. Uh, so it was great stuff, great stuff. And uh, like what was saying, please continue to send us just suggestions. Um, please send us interview suggestions um, if you want, if you feel like you uh, are the caliber that should be interviewed yourself, please let us know about that too. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social medias. It's just how of who we are. There's no the. It's on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, we look forward to continuing to deliver you guys episodes on every Sunday. So go ahead and enjoy this episode today. <music> Do you feel like you could get some encouragement? Do you want to stay motivated or feel inspired? Stay Fresh Lifestyle is a lifestyle brand that encourages, motivates, and inspires people to live a positively charged lifestyle. Reminding people the only way to stay fresh is to be rooted in God so your freshness will never dry up. Our mission is to live refreshed lives in the living word of God and developing the whole person to leave a personal fingerprint on life's endeavors. 
Stay Fresh Lifestyle accomplishes this through Stay Fresh Hair Studio, the mentorship program, the Refresh Bible Study, and philanthropy. The way you can become a Stay Fresh crew member and support our mission is to purchase our products at WeStayFresh.Joomla.com and follow us on Instagram at underscore Stay Fresh Lifestyle and at underscore Stay Fresh Cuts. Stay Fresh. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the most recent episode of The How of Who We Are. Today, we have Dave Benson, somebody that I met through working at the Inverness Golf Course, who I know as the social studies uh, coordinator at Cherry Creek High School, was a social studies coordinator, now retired. Um, He also was a coach for women's golf and a coach for men's tennis um, for for a little while there. Dave, you want to say hello? Yeah, hello, everyone, and... uh... Thanks for having me. I'm flattered to be here. Yeah, of course. We're we're excited to to get this going. Me and Will were talking off the uh, off the wire that we were both really excited for this interview, and um, we know it would be a good one. So we'll go ahead and we'll start with our traditional question, uh, probably my favorite question, and we'll ask you um, if you want to go over kind of the four symbols that you would have on your personal logo, the logo of Dave Benson. Yeah, I did some thinking about that, and I. Uh, the first one uh, is Colorado. It's certainly home for me. I, uh, I was not born here, so I'm not quite a native, but uh, moved here when I was four. My folks came in 1959 from Chicago. And other than four years at college in Texas, this is where I have lived. And it's, it's very much home. And uh, uh, sometimes the thought of uh, leaving it, if that ever happens, is kind of daunting. Um, and another, uh, another one of the four points is, is family. Um, I have a wonderful wife, Laura, uh, and we have a a son, 30 year old son named Tim who lives in Grover beach, California with his wife. Um, the third point is, is my career. And, uh, you've already introduced some of that, uh, Keaton, but, um, I did retire a year ago, May. Uh, a little more than a year ago, but had a wonderful 40-year career in education. Uh, most of it at, at my my own alma mater, Cherry Creek High School in Greenwood Village, Colorado, where I loved the classroom, teaching primarily U.S. history, U.S. government, and uh, um, some world history and geography, um, and, and coaching, which you also mentioned that I did actually at the beginning of my career in the end. Uh, with a, uh, the middle, I did not, middle of career did not. And then, then I am, the fourth point is I, I am a man of faith. And uh, so anytime I want to uh, talk about big, big parts of my life, I, uh, I do need to include that. So. I love that. Well, and, and Will and I are faithful and that's actually not a piece that I necessarily knew about you. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always good to hear that you're, you're kind of grounded because of that. Um, now, when you were talking about your third symbol, you're talking about your career. Let, let's go ahead and let's jump into that a little more. Um, mm-hmm. So like you said, you, you were a teacher for different areas of the social studies department. Um, are there any kind of stories or, or shining moments that you can think of through your teaching career that you like will always remember that you can always kind of look back on? Yeah, one that, one that comes to mind is um, about 1990, which was 
six years into my time at Cherry Creek High School and about 10 years into my career, um, I, I did a, a, a master's program through the University of Northern Colorado and actually got my, my master's in reading. And we, that, that, that was fascinating and I enjoyed the time. And I started really challenging the textbook as the, uh, you know, the source of knowledge in a history, history class. And uh, a partner, an English teaching partner and me set up a class that we called Humanities that was driven by interesting books, generally friendly nonfiction, sometimes uh, historical fiction. And those would be key pieces of units. And we really, we really got some kids to buy into that. They just, they loved some of the books um, and loved talking about them. And that was a wonderful part of my career, Humanities. And it lasted until uh, probably just the last uh, eight to 10 years of my career. My, my partner first retired and went to a different school district. And, um, and he's unfortunately passed away since. But I, I look back on, the, on that humanities program as uh, one of my favorite periods of teaching and, and strong connection with kids. I felt like we really set up kids to be lifelong readers and lifelong learners rather than turned off by dry, passionless textbooks. And you guys might, you guys might agree with that. I don't know what your experience was. I hope you had a good social studies uh, education, but... Somewhere along the line, you probably uh, dreaded picking up the textbook and reading it. So, uh, is my guess. Yeah, and I, I personally love history, but that doesn't mean I love the the textbooks of like the history subject because they can be really difficult to go through. Um, and from what my limited knowledge is of historical or um, humanities, is that it's a lot of times from the pers like different perspectives, and that happens yeah. a lot within historical fiction because something that you could hear about history is history is written from the side of the victors but with having those different historical fiction readings and books you can see a lot of the other perspectives and really get a full scope of of what's going on that, that's right Keaton um, just as a sample a book called Killer Angels by Michael Shara S-H-A-A-R-A that book uh, is amazing. I've actually yeah, read that book. Yes. Yeah, good. good. That well, book so, was that book was that yeah. was amazing. Good. Yeah. Then you know what I'm talking about. That that turned things around for me in terms of what reading materials could be for social studies classes. I'll just for your audience, I'll just give a real quick summary. It was it's the Battle of Gettysburg, and the author Michael Shara, who won a Pulitzer Prize for it, uh, goes back and forth between uh, Southern and Northern leaders. Some of the main ones like Robert E. Lee. Um, a, a colonel named Chamberlain, who uh, isn't that well even is, isn't that well known even to a uh, typical history student, but was probably responsible for the for the Union victory at Gettysburg. He he was featured, and he gets into their heads. And uh, like any historical fiction, he had to create some dialogue. But um, it just blew me away, and it blew my students away. So. Uh, that that was the key feature of our Civil War unit in that class. We did we did uh, 
other broad things about the Civil War. We didn't just study the Battle of Gettysburg for four weeks, but um, but it was the, the hook, you know, it was what got us excited about it. Yeah, and I guess along those same lines, you know, when for your, as a history teacher, what, when you're looking at a classroom of students and you, you have like this curriculum for them and you have these materials for them, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what is kind of your, your goal for those students? Like what, what do you see history, how do you see history playing it was the best in, way to translate their lives yeah and translating it to them yeah i well i always say if you if you really want to know what's going on you have you have to study history uh, because human existence is cause and effect and uh you know today's events didn't happen in a vacuum and uh it, it's I, I i tell my students that whenever i uh i go to a, a town or a city we might be driving through or visiting my first instinct is to try to find out a little bit of history of, of, of that town. How, what brought people to that place? Uh, what motivated them? How did they make a living? And uh, so I, I want to really, I always wanted to really fire up my, my students to see that those connections and uh, also some of the, the idea that nothing is, nothing under the sun is really that new. Um, talking about podcasts there and you, you guys are putting together an interesting podcast there's one that i love called uh my history can beat up your politics and his his idea is every all of the current issues that we're dealing with right now that are making the front pages of our newspapers and lead stories and, and broadcasts have something fairly similar not only in world history but in u.s history course and you know you know for instance uh, the 1918 flu pandemic it has all sorts of parallels to what's going on with the with the coronavirus right now and uh, so if I can make kids see that uh, most of what's going on it d didn't just happen uh, spontaneously or uh, out of nothing but uh, you know we can go back and, and learn get a lot of insight into it by by looking at history so I could hook them that way and then I felt good. That's great. Well, and to help prove your point too, to use kind of a really broad example, you can think about like World War One and the overwhelming number of lasting impacts from that. I mean, the whole continent of Europe was shaped in a different form for how it was for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and to, to go back a little bit too, on your point of like historical fiction, like a lot of those moments will stick in the heads of your students and how see, being able to see both perspectives is really important. Um, Cause I, I have a personal moment that I cannot remember the book for the life of me. And I, I've thought about it a lot. There's this moment I was reading a revolutionary book in fifth grade. So a long time ago uh, for me. And it was talking, it was showing how some of the revolutionary soldiers were being jerks and just being not you know, the best people. And, you know, when we look back, we think of them as these great, perfect people. And then it showed some German soldiers that were for hire on the British side and they were helping out these people that they really didn't know anything about. And to me, it showed me the perspective of there's good and bad on both sides, but you need to, you need to take a step back and look into it and really try to formulate a full understanding of what is going on. And that's, I would say that's relatively the same for the civil war. You know, there's a lot more within there 
but there's still good and bad on both sides. Even though the union won, and that's generally the good side, there's still good and bad on that on that end. Yeah, that, that's music to my ears, Keaton, to hear you talking about that and remembering things from fifth grade. That does my history heart good. You know, it makes makes it pound uh, pound pound hard. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And then, and the other part of what you're saying is you need to you need to try to personalize history. You know, textbooks don't do that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels kind of you know, it's very abstract for kids instead of really bringing them alive and showing connections and, and experience and, and uh, how uh, you know people were people and they had a lot of the same frustrations and challenges and burdens that we have today. So, yeah, and I, I guess something else that I'm kind of curious about as well, we mentioned it earlier, you, you, so far we, you've described how your, your personal teaching style has changed in, over the course of your career, but I know we were talking a little bit earlier um, before the interview about how you noticed that teaching as a whole has changed so much in the course yeah. of your career. So if you could just touch on that and, and highlight what you've seen and what you've experienced. Yeah, I have a couple responses to that, Will. Um, one is, towards the end of my career, I got asked often, uh, how has education changed and how are the kids? And, my, you know, my standard, re- I, I, got, I got asked so many times that I started having a standard response, <laughs> and here's what it was. Um, kids at the high school where I taught, which was an upper middle class, pub- large public school, uh, 90% college bound, that sort of thing. So we had a lot of advantages, but kids there uh, changed very little over 40 years in regards to uh, they wanted to achieve, they were willing to work hard. Most of them had good attitudes. That, that didn't change much. What changed a lot was attention span. Um, and I believe this prevails not just with our youth, but all the way up to people my age um, and beyond. Um, when I started, I could do a 50-minute straight lecture, and the kids weren't thrilled about that even back then. <laughs> and I'm sure, that, I'm sure on the way out the door, they would, they'd say to each other, boy, was that a bore. But I'll tell you one thing. I had their focus for the most part for 50 minutes. They, could, they, they would stay with me. You know, I could... I could get a, I could quote get away with that uh, and and not and not lose them. Right. Well, let's fast forward to 2018 or 2019. If I tried to talk at them for 50 minutes, it probably be it probably would have been a mutiny. You know, they, uh, you know, for, for sure I would have had heads down and snoring going on. And uh, uh, and I, I started uh, looking at. Uh, a class period in at least three or four segments, keep it moving, try different learning styles, uh, do, do 10 or 15 minutes of this and then change strategies and do another one. And, and I think uh, a lot of it is uh, technology-based. Um, at 64, just, just like guys your age, I get really impatient quickly if I'm on the internet, if I'm watching TV, you know, I click to another station, I, I I click to another link, um, you know, I, uh, so the, my ability to stay on a topic and stay with something, my, my own attention span has weakened severely. And I think, I think it's systemic. I think, you know, the, the whole society is, has just become less able to focus for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one response I have to you. Well, go ahead, go ahead, Keaton, if you want to follow up. Well, I was just going to say too, something that gets brought up a lot when this sort of topic comes up is social media um, yep. and how you're so quick just to be swiping through. Um, yeah. And I was talking about some marketing stuff with my oldest brother about Twitter specifically. And he was like, listen, you have five seconds to, if that, to catch people's attention. So you, you have to do it. And then from like the marketing side, you right. you have to push stuff out. Not only very often, but like very quick bursts. And then that forces the consumer and it, it goes, it goes, it goes back and forth. You know, they, they both build off of one another. It's not one side kind of doing it to the other. No doubt. Uh, you have very little time to capture someone's attention and you better not linger very much on anything. Uh, are you going to lose them? Mm-hmm. It, try an experiment and maybe your listeners could try an experiment sometime. Go on YouTube and look at some commercials from the 1950s. And you know, the, lots of times they're, they're three minutes long and it's just a salesman talking at, talking at the people. And, and, you know, at that point, I get, obviously they were able to hold the attention of people for three minutes. Now everything is boom, 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 switching uh, video images and different stimulations. And so that, that's what I'm talking about. I think that, it, it, and it's not all, it, I guess it's all not all negative, but it's, it's also not all positive. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wish I had my old uh, attention span myself. And I, I think it's hard for the kids, for any kid to really, really bear down and focus. And uh, um, so, yeah. And the other one, Will, back to your original question in, in social studies education and history education, a real positive trend the last 10 years has been the the idea of giving kids evidence generally through primary documents which are evidence that comes directly from the time can be letters diaries things like that give them give the kids uh primary evidence documents and let them figure it out rather than just telling the kids this is this is what happened um you know, then the kids are take on the uh, the role of uh, almost solving a mystery or uh, trying to figure out a puzzle, and uh, mm. you know that that really was something that gained momentum in social studies education in the last 10, 15 years of my career, and very very positive. Could you could um, you give an example of that? I don't know if I've yeah. if I've ever heard of that specifically. Right. Uh, let's go back to the Bell of Gettysburg since we were on that rather than me telling them as the teacher, the sage on the stage, um, here was, here's the maneuvering. Here's what the North's advantage, the, the South advantage, so forth. Give them, uh, a report from Robert E. Lee, a report from you, uh, from, uh, Meade, who was the Northern general, uh, a foot soldier's account of what happened. Uh, you know, three or four documents like that and ask some hopefully provocative questions could be something like what, what were the motivations at the battle of Gettysburg? You know, why, what, what was the South trying to accomplish? And, you know, let the, usually this is done in groups, let, let them, let them figure it out, hmm. you know, well, rather, rather than tell, rather than me telling them, you know, the, the South wanted to win a, a battle in the in a northern state because they didn't think the North was gonna 
leave them alone until they did. You know, it'd be great if a kid could figure that out on his own. Then, then the kid has the, the feeling of uh, satisfaction and, um, you, you know, that. So that, that's been a real positive trend in, in, in social studies education. And I think English classes have done some of that too. That's really good to hear you talk about these positive trends because, you know, like many, many other things and kind of some of the stuff said earlier about the attention, there's so many pros and cons of it. Um, and I feel like this example that you're giving does a really good job of actually, quote unquote, controlling that attention sort of situation, because rather than just sitting there and listening and trying to be a sponge, taking it all in, you're the one that has to go in and do kind of the problem solving. And it's all okay. up, up to you to, to answer those questions and to connect them all together. So you're not just getting told, you're more discovering it. And it's like, it's like a mystery, kind of what you're saying. You got it. That's it. That's what. That, that's what it does and when it works well that that's that's how it goes so um, that's been a awesome. real positive so I think that that trend and the attention span piece are uh, two of the major takeaways I would have now I, I want to touch on one more thing with school before we kind of move on we, we've sure. talked about the students a lot I want to ask what what has kind of been the changing climate with parents because that's you know it's a difficult yeah topic that comes up and I just want to hear it from from your perspective towards it yeah um, someone who goes back as far as I do the it really did seem early on in my career and certainly when I was a, a student the presumption was the teacher in the school are right and worthy of our trust and uh, if, if a screw-up happened, it was probably, as from a parent's perspective, it was probably my kid who screwed up, not the school. That was the assumption. Well, in 2020, that, it's just the opposite. <laughs> and uh, uh, Teachers love to, well, uh, some of the teachers I talk to, we look sometimes at some parents as more lawyers than parents. Like if a kid screws up, their entire motivation is not to teach the kid a lesson, not to teach the kid to not do, do that again, uh, not to repeat negative behavior, but how can I get my kid off with as little damage as possible? And how can I keep this from hurting his or her grade? And uh, I don't really trust these teachers. And uh, uh, I don't think they have my kid's welfare. So now the assumption more and more is, um, we should be skeptical towards the school and towards the teacher and be ready to battle uh, tooth and nail. So it's a, it's very discouraging. Uh, you don't feel like with some parents, like you're on the same team working towards a common goal, which is trying to help your kid get a good education, their kid a good education. You feel like adversaries sometimes. Um, all of that, that that's very, that, it's very much a generalization. Uh, many parents are still very, very supportive of the school and, They'll praise you for um, the job you've done with their kid, but that that has been the trend, Keaton. To answer your your inquiry there, yeah. Well, I, I think the highs and the lows get remembered a lot, and that could be one of the more lows, or, or yeah. even in the middle there. Um, and it, it's just it's it's different, and it coming from a teacher perspective, which is your perspective, and even from knowing my parents as teachers, like being a teacher is a very difficult job and it, it helps make that 
that much more difficult. And from my perspective, even knowing that I'm not the best student at all times, it really makes me just appreciate the teachers that do care. And, and clearly there are teachers that aren't the best, but the teachers that do care and, and try to put that effort out, you know, I think they are the ones that uh, we need to be appreciating and, and their stories need to be told, which is, you know, there's that's the exact reasoning why you're on here now is because you were that teacher that cared and that wanted to help the student and the, the, the person behind the student just be better than, than who they may have been coming into the high school. Yeah, right. Thank you. I agree with that, Keaton. And I would also, I know we're, we're probably transitioning from school here, but for, I know a lot of our listeners um, are younger people and maybe some of them are considering to be teachers. So Dave, if you would just, we've talked about some of the climate that is part of being a teacher now, what would you say to a young aspiring teacher who's trying to jump in and get their hands dirty and really try to make a difference? Well, I, I, I appreciate how you frame the question, Will, because I, I was afraid you were going to say, would you tell a young person to go into education? <laughs> well, I, yeah, <laughs> I edited that version, but uh, that's also kind of yeah. within the question. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the answer is yes, I would. But I would, I would warn them that it's an, it's an increasingly complicated job. Um, and I mean, the last few, I, I don't know if you want to get into the, what the pandemic has done to education or not. I'll leave that up to you guys. But even without the pandemic aside, you know, teachers need to be, have so many different skill sets. Um, more and more we need to understand how kids learn and if they don't, what their learning disabilities are, um, what makes them tick, what strategies work, what don't. Um, and we need to be, we need to master our content. You know, we need to be experts in what we teach. Um, we need to be patient. We need to care. Uh, I, I, would, I would still, if you'd pose a question, would you recommend to a young person they get into education? The answer is yes, I would. But understand what you're getting into. It's a service job. You're not going to get rich at it. And there's going to be many frustrations, but there's going to be many rewards too. And if uh, your listeners are, are people who have a temperament of, uh, I really would prefer to help people than chase the almighty dollar, education is a good way to go. Um, I think we are more of a mentality like um, uh, maybe even nurses or even pastors and ministers and things like that in terms of um, you if you want a career where human interaction and, and trying to help people grow is what's satisfying then education is a, is a good good place yeah to, to kind of put a bow tie and wrap it up you know we asked you in our, our little pre-interview or i had asked you if you had the option would you have done anything differently and immediately no hesitation like no absolutely not I, I made the right choice and uh, I loved what I did so uh, you're, you're putting precautions out there which is more than fair but none the, nonetheless it was clearly something that you love doing and that that you were proud that you you did absolutely I, I'm grateful for my career and uh, it, it was certainly the right path for me 
Awesome. So uh, while you were you were teaching, um, you you we touched on it briefly. You did so. You bookended your career with with um, some coaching um, too. So I, I want to talk about the coaching and what what that meant to you being able to to help mold these people or these athletes in a different form. And then I want to ask as kind of a follow up question. I'm kind of putting a lot on you, but I want to ask how important you think athletics are um, and, or can be for uh, somebody in high school. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I got into, or one reason I got into education or what, what gave me some opportunities was I grew up a competitive tennis player here in Colorado and had a reputation within the tennis community. And Cherry Creek was, uh, when I, when I went to, to coach and teach was already a, a tennis powerhouse and they, they were looking for a former player cause I'd played there. Uh, so it was, it was really helpful for me to, to get into education and, and, you know, I, I loved it for the 10 years that I, that I did it. Um, we won a lot of state titles. Um, and, uh, uh, I made some, absolutely made some lifelong friends from my, my first decade at Cherry Creek coaching people who to this day I'm in touch with all the time and play golf with and that, that sort of thing. Um, there is something about sports that elevates the emotion that elevates the experience from versus the classroom uh, because, you know, you, 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 everyone's putting, themselves on the line trying to be successful uh it, it almost felt to me like it was going to war together and and uh trying to uh show our character and do the best we could and and uh really had some great kids and enjoyed it and then i i moved to oh well i i stopped coaching uh boys tennis at Cherry Creek when my son reached an age where I was missing a lot of his, his stuff because it was at a place like Cherry Creek, being a head coach is all consuming. It's, it's 24 seven. And that just wasn't acceptable. I, I didn't want to miss my kid, kid growing up. So, the, so I got off, got out until sports until the last six years of my career. And by that time I personally, transition to a love for golf because I could still make a little progress in golf as I got old and lost my reflex. And I, I coached uh, as an assistant because I certainly have never established a high level of skill in golf, but I love it. Um, and one of the last two years I was in it, we won a state championship and um, it, it just all came back, you know, the, the juices, the excitement, uh, the kids just, looking at you for guidance and, and, uh, um, uh, so, and I, I know some of the, the girls golfers in their families that I had the last six years will, will also be lifelong friends. So, uh, I loved my coaching experience and it's kind of interesting spanning two different sports and the bookends of my career. Well, and one of the important parts of what you're saying too, is that sacrificing and sacrificing yeah for each other and then 
at the end of the day, even sacrificing for you, for their coach, because you're doing the same thing. You're sacrificing your time. You know, you ended up transitioning to being with your son, but you were already sacrificing time from being with your son to be with these um, young athletes. And it's go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, you put it really well. I, I, I think a lot of the value of sports is that. Um, it's learning to be a, a good member of a team. It's learning to be self-disciplined. It's always been interesting to me over the years that we, we didn't talk about this off the air earlier, but I think it's an interesting part of coaching. Um, over the years, I had some kids who were struggling academically and their parents decided to pull them off the team so that they could do better in school, that they would presumably spend more time studying. Almost every time that happened, the kid's academic performance actually went down. Hmm. And a lot of it was sports had made them budget their time. That's one thing it does is, you know, you're, you're busy with your sports and, and you get home and you're, you're dead tired, but I, you know, I've got two hours to study before I collapse and go to bed and I, I can't, I can't be diverted from it. I've got to focus on my studying because this is the part of the day I have to do this work. And so you learn, an athlete learns how to budget time. And when that was gone, you know, what little structure there was in their life disappeared as well. And they, they didn't use the extra time they had from lack of sports uh, studying. They, they started eating potato chips and watching TV. So, uh, <laughs> I've always found that fascinating and it really points to one of the values of sports. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, you, you know, I love the classroom and I hope that that has come through in our conversation, but the, the closest relationships that I made in my career that continue to this day, going back to people I'm in constant touch with and play golf with that, that was through coaching. That wasn't through, those were not my students. Um, for one thing, mo most of my students I only had for a year. Lots of times I had athletes for four years. And uh, so, it, yeah, there is something about sports and uh, very valuable, I think. Um, and it has its downside, as you guys both could attest to. And you've seen all the cruddy stuff, parents acting inappropriately and parents trying to live their dreams through their kids. You know, all of that. that that's all true. But the upside of sports is, is, I think, even more compelling. Well, I think with many things, there's pros and cons with kind of everything yeah. that you're looking into. You, you want to do your best to shine on the pros and focus on the pros and try to make the cons negligible. And I, I love what you're saying about the time management. And I'm not specifically going to speak for Will, but I think I can speak for Will. Um, that when we had open free time, we're – we're lazy. We're doing whatever. We're going through that social media, you know, using our attention span with as little as possible. But when we're back at school, we're doing lacrosse, we're going to practice, coming back, having a, a window of time to fully study, and we use it more effectively versus what we would have done previously. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, isn't it amazing how the, the people who take on the most usually accomplish the most? You know, they, they, may have, they may be juggling five or six things and you go, how do you ever get all of that done? But, you know, the, the time management piece forces them to, you know, it forces them to focus. So. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I really miss that component uh, during quarantine when we came back after the school shut down. I was just, I, you, you said you were speaking for me, Keaton, and you hit the nail on the head. I, I loved having a practice schedule, and I loved having, having kind of that urgency. Like, I do it right now or it's not getting done. So, right. <laughs> like, let's make it happen. That's yep. so true. Yeah, I think it's so universal. Yeah. So we were you were talking a little bit about um, during, in the teaching experience and then now the coaching experience, how you said there were rewards that were intrinsic with the job of teaching and coaching. I'm assuming one of those rewards is seeing people develop and flourish and coming from a yeah. place, going from point A to point B, maybe not believing they could go from point A to point B. And then you see that happening in right. real time. So is there any one or two stories that stand out in your mind as just that basically that happening? Yeah. Um, let's see what would be the, the, the best examples of that. You know, we had a, uh, I, I remember a tennis player from my early days. Um, he lost his mother a, a few months before he came out for the team. Um, good player, but, was acting out a lot um, because he was just dealing with so much emotional distress. And, you know, he made the team and went on to win an individual state championship. And uh, uh, I think the healing process that goes along with uh, that kind of loss, in his case, was really tied into um, being part of the, the tennis team. And uh, so I, I've never forgotten that, and that's probably been a full 35 years ago. Um, in the classroom... I couldn't imagine, I, sorry to cut you off, I couldn't imagine yeah. that sort of emotion put into playing at that point, and the emotion after winning that state title. Um, yeah. Like, for both of you, as the coach and as the player, just watching that sort of scenario... That's big, powerful big, stuff. Big time tears on both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, the whole team was in tears because everybody knew his story, of course. Um, so, yeah, that, that, was, that was quite powerful. Uh, I was going to say in the classroom, I had a, I had a kid, and, and I, I'm not going to say he was a weak student before he came to my class, but I, but I don't think he particularly – saw history as one of his favorite classes. And we went through the whole second half of the year and the internet was just, this was back in the day when the internet was just starting to be, to flourish and be an incredible resource. So sometime around the turn of the century probably. Uh, and <laughs> I started hearing from him virtually every single night on something he'd found on the internet related to what we were studying. You know, he was going deep. He was, uh, he liked what we were, what the assignments were and, and all of that, but he, he was just taken off and becoming basically an independent historical researcher. Some of the things he found, I actually ended up using in class because he, he was so resourceful. That's you cool. Know? Yeah, that, that was, I'll, I'll never forget that kid. So well, I can I can see your your big smile on your face when you're talking about it. You know, that sort of excitement just becomes infectious. Um, yeah, right. I, I, I imagine I'm out of touch with him, but I, I imagine that 
to this day, he's curious, you know, about history and curious in general. And uh, that he would look back on that as one of his early days of, of uh, self you know, self-discovery, self, self-research and stuff. Yeah. Definitely. And we, we talk about the pros and cons of stuff and there is like cons of the internet of attention span, but that's a huge pro yeah. right there is the ability to research and go deeper, which a textbook has only a finite number of things, whereas the internet is literally endless. Um, and I, no I doubt. love that. Well, and something I want to make sure that we emphasize is that like the only sports and athletics aren't the only way to find a sense of happiness and to find a sense of inclusion in the school. Um, I've found myself in multi, mul multiple different clubs. I was part of the student government in my mm -hmm. high school. Same for my college experience. I know your son was a part of like a similar student government sort of situation. So, you know, there's multiple different avenues for being included or feeling that sense of inclusion and happiness, but it just, it's all, it's all perspective. You know, it kind of goes back to our history talk earlier. It's all perspective and what you really enjoy and uh, to show, to shine the pros and to not hide the cons, but try to put them in a place where they're, they're not as uh, pertinent. Um, now, I know Will has a, a question that he wants to, to ask you too. Yeah, I, just to follow up with um, kind of a summary a little bit. So we've kind of talked about some of your, your kind of methods and some of your, your, your teaching styles and coaching style. But I was, we, also, we love to ask people when they come on the podcast of, do you have like an overarching motto for your life? And then I, for you, I think there'd be an overall overarching kind of philosophy towards teaching and coaching that, you know, whether you put words to it or not over the years was kind of something that gave you some direction and helped you help others. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, and, and as you suggest, I don't think a, an articulate motto comes to mind, but what does come to mind is education and coaching are, are about creating curiosity, enthusiasm, uh, passion, um, you know, desire to grow and, and take it to another level. Um, so that, that, that's really what, what both were all about. Um, and that's why my, you know, my examples were uh, aimed at athletes and, and kids who, um, we're encouraged to build their own character, go, go deeper, uh, go well beyond my own expectations. Um, so I, I think that that's certainly, if I, if I was successful with a few kids on that score, then I feel good about my career. Um, that, that's what I wanted to see happen more than anything else. And to like kind of form words out of what you're saying, it's, it's essentially like follow your passion and yeah whether that's coaching, the sport itself, teaching. Now yours, I'll say for you, it's, it was helping other people. And you followed that passion for a long time. And um, even right now, you're helping Will and I and continuing to follow that passion. Um, now, Dave, we, we loved having you on. Really great conversation. Lots of, lots of great information in there. Um, before we kind of start wrapping it up, I want to ask you, do you have any questions that you would like to ask us? No, only, uh, you know, the podcasts I listen to are on my, 
iPad and iPhone on a podcast uh, icon app that I click on. So when, after you've produced this, and I don't know how long that takes, but after you've produced it, would I, would I be able to access it by going into that app? Yep, I can uh, send over a link. That's the Apple Podcast. Um, they take like an extra day, so we'll be up um, sometime on Sunday on like Spotify, but then they take an extra day, so they like listen to it and make sure there's nothing that's not supposed to be on there. And then um, by about Monday, we'll have that, and I can just shoot over a link to you, so you have a direct source to it. That'd be great. I would love it. So, are you talking about the Sunday today, Sunday, or a week from today? Um, Likely today, Sunday, we had another interview um, where we're going to kind of figure out the timeline of, of which one's going to go first and which one's going to go second. Um, but we'll, we'll keep you updated on um, whichever way it goes. Um, yeah, it's a problem we like to have. We have uh, interviews to choose from. That's a good problem. We're, we don't mind that yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, by, by the way, I don't, anything you edit or, or don't use I, doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Uh, but I, I want to tell you, I, I, I'm still not quite sure why Keaton thought of me for your podcast, but I'm very flattered and I certainly enjoyed the conversation. And Will, it's, it's fun to get to know you a little bit via virtual. <laughs> right. Virtual yeah. means quote unquote face to face. Well, I think, you know, the interview speaks for itself. Uh, the interview slash conversation speaks for itself of why we, we wanted you on here. And um, like the passion of just wanting to help others is, is so infectious even for us now. And, you know, your, your story, Dave, is, is one that we believe needs to be told and, and hopefully it, it's, it's happening now. Well, again, I, you know, I, I consider myself a fairly boring guy, but I'm, I am flattered <laughs> and, and, and enjoyed the whole process. So I wish you guys a lot of luck. Keaton and Will, uh, both of you stay in touch. And uh, if you get back next time you get back to Colorado, you know, uh, drop me a line. I'd love to Hopefully, we at, at, at that point, we can actually meet at a restaurant and have lunch or meet at a coffee shop and have coffee. We'll hope the world has uh, gotten a little better in regards to this pandemic. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll play it by ear, just like many other things going on right now. Yeah. Um, uh, well, great to reconnect with you, Keaton. Great to meet you, Will, and best of luck to you guys. Thanks, Dave. You're it. amazing. Appreciate you. Well, this concludes this week's episode of the How of Who We Are. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this interview as much as, you know, as much as we did. Um, stay tuned. Every Sunday we have episodes dropping. Um, we'll be posting uh, different notifications and different heads up on our social media. So keep an eye out for those. Like Will said, new episodes every Sunday. Always keep an eye out for them, whether you want to end your week on a strong note listening to the how of who we are or where you would like to start your week on a strong note. Uh, we hope to continue to deliver you guys some good interviews. Uh, please give us some feedback on that, on that note. And I want to make sure I give a special thanks to Dave Benson for joining us. Um, it was a tremendous interview and uh, really learned a lot of stuff that um, I think that both Will and I will benefit from. And I know you guys will too. Yeah. And I just wanted to add real quick before we wrapped up, I received a phone call from a buddy of mine who said he was at work and he's just been continuously listening to episodes of the podcast, the how of who we are um, every day at work. And it's just been something that's really, in, really been something he benefited from um, just because of all the different various people that we've had on the podcast, different walks of life, different backgrounds. Um, so glad to hear that. 
from that guy in particular. But if, you know, if on the other side of things, if maybe we could do something different, something that you think you want to hear more of, let us know. Um, we're, we're all ears. We're looking to make this what you guys want to hear. And so it could be the best for everybody. Everybody wins. So with that, we'll uh, conclude this episode and we'll see you here next week. Thanks for tuning in.